This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Thank you very much. It's an honor and a pleasure to speak in Queens. My daughter lives here. Hashem, Shoshi. Um, so tonight I believe it's a gathering to raise money to supporting the mikvah. So I want to tell you probably the most amazing story that I've ever um, ever saw on, on mikvah. Let me just get the page over here. Pay dollars. Precious Kisava. I spoke once for Mikvah USA and they had just built a mikvah in Sacramento, California. And I said over this story and okay. So first of all, I want to open up with a Mishnah in Pirkeiavos. We're learning Pirkeiavos now, right? We started Pesach. And um, we're going through Shruis, and then we start all over again. And the Mishnah says that you should make your will, you should make God's will, your will, right? In order that he should make his will, your will. And you should break, you should, here it is, okay. Rabbi Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Yehuda said, I say with so no, kitsonecha. I don't really need this mic. I'm better off about it. You should do the will of Hashem, right? You should make His will your will. Today, in order, that He should make your will His will. What does that mean? What does that mean that you should make your will into Akash Baruch's will? So I was asked to speak. I didn't do it yet, but I was asked to speak on Amuna. On the subject of what is what is the real emuna? It's a, it's a very big subject. There's a lot of books on it. There's a lot of books written. You know, the the, the Garden of Emuna, and then there's a new a bunch of svarim. I think Rabbi Yashir. I think that's his name, or something of that sort. What? What's the book name? What's the name of the book? Pathway Living Emuna, Living with Emuna. But really, what is what is really? It's very nice. But what is what is real emuna? What does it mean? So I once heard a rabbi got up and he said, what's the difference between Emunah and Bitochon? It's the same thing, right? Bitochon is believing in Hashem, and Emunah is believing in Hashem. It's a difference between Bitochon and Emunah. So the, the real understanding of it is, Emunah is the thought. Is I, I believe in Hashem. Bitochon is acting the thought. So he said a very interesting story, which is so true. Because you can get up and speak about I'm not going to talk about it tonight, but I thought I had a Muna, but many times I was challenged in the second, and in the second, you, you're not the same person as when you get up and when you speak. Trust me. It's very different when it happens to you. You can get up, you can make speeches, you can write books, but it's very hard when you're in this situation. So he set up a story. He said that, what's the difference between a Muna and Bitochon? So there was this guy who used to walk the tightrope, used to walk the tightrope in the circus. I'm sure as kids before now, Nebuch, they closed the circus because of the elephants. But there used to be a place where kids used to go called the circus. And there's a guy in the circus who, wrote, who used to walk a tightrope. It's like a wire. And he would have a thing and he would walk on it. And I remember as a kid it was amazing. And, of course, they had all these nets underneath in case he falls. And then, as I got older, Bonham and Bailey got more exciting. And there was no net. 
And that's when they started selling out. Because people have this little thing in the back of their minds, right? There's something called the Indy 500. I don't know if you ever heard the Indy 500. So it's a race where the cars go around the track 500 times. Business shiga. To go out there, you're going to sit for hours in Indianapolis in the heat to watch the same cars go around a thing 500 times. So they, they try to figure out when the psyche of a human being come at the, if you want to see who won, right, show up with three laps left, right? And you'll see who won. You can sit there the first 497 times they went around, show up, right? You have a Jewish head. You have a Jewish head. Show up uh, with three laps left and you'll see who won. What are you sitting there the whole time for? So they, 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 exact, they st- started speaking to these guys that were sitting by these race. Mama, it's hours, hours. And the answer was, in the back of their head, we don't want to crash, but a major crash would be amazing. And that's what they're really there for. They're really there for to watch the crashes. Yeah, okay. So in the circus, there was no net. It wasn't to really, as a kid, I'm telling you as a kid, it wasn't to see, wow, the guy's great. He did not fall. It was to see that he might fall. So it got much more exciting when there was no net underneath. Okay? Just like in the, then they changed the whole circus. I'm not going to go to the whole circus. But they had the guy going into the tiger cage also without anything but a whip. It made it more exciting. No guns, no knives, no nothing, no swords, no prods. Just a, just a whip. Maybe, the, you know. So every kid, when you watch that, you're hoping that, what, that the lion, you're hoping that the lion won't eat him? You're hoping the lion will eat him. We have that in the back of our heads, but we don't, we don't really let it, we don't really, uh, you know, we really don't let it surface. Okay, anyway, so, I want, I want to just switch the story for a second. So, so this guy, he's a, he's a tight worker, and, and, and his friend says to him, you know, you were just offered a million dollars to walk in Arizona, the Grand Canyon, on a tightrope. On a wire. A wire across the Grand Canyon, a million dollars if he does it. So he turned to his friend. He said, I never, I'm in the circus. I make a little few pennies. I have a chance to make a million dollars. Do you think I can walk across the Grand Canyon on a wire? And his friend said, listen, you're the best in the world. Because they used to do it with blindfolded. I remember, these do blindfolded. They used to do it on one foot. They used to do it on a wheelie, a one, one tire. This guy was the best in the world. So his friend tells him, listen, I'm telling you, you got to do it. You're going to make a million dollars, you can retire. Okay, my friend talked me into it. They go to Arizona, and they go to the Grand Canyon. And the guy comes to the Grand Canyon, and they put the wire across the Grand Canyon, and he takes that piece of metal that he's going to balance himself with, and he says, it's really scary here. Because if you ever saw the Grand Canyon, it's like you look down, there's no end. And there's wind. In the circus, there's no wind. Out here, there's wind. So he turns to his friend. He says, are you sure I can do this? I mean, it's a little windy. He says, you're the best in the world. There's no one in the world like you. You're number one. Why do you think they offered you a million dollars? Look at the, 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 the Wheaties box that you're going to be on. Look at all the advertisements that you're going to be on. You, you're going to be famous. He says, I know, but, it, but if I fall, I mean, hello, and, and it, it is a little windy. No, come on. You're the man. He goes, you sure? I'm sure. 
Really sure? Really sure? It's not a problem. You can do it with your eyes closed. Do you really think I can do it with my eyes closed? He says, absolutely. He says, and I can surely do it with my eyes open, right? He goes, yes, I have emuna in you. I believe in you. You can do it. And he turns to the guy who keeps telling him he can do it. He says, 100%? He goes, yeah. He goes, great. Get on my shoulders. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not that crazy. Oh, you sure I could do it? But if you have to get on my shoulders, you're not so sure. So the Rebbe said, it was unbelievable. What a lesson. He says, Amuna, yeah, believe in Hashem. Everything's going to be a riot. Yeah, really? You're not willing to get on my shoulders, though. That you're not willing to do. You believe I could do it. But you don't believe you could do it on my shoulders. To, to a very unbelievably translation of the difference. Amuna is, I believe it. Be talking is like stepping into it. Taking the action. That, ah, that's already different. So, I spoke to my seminary girls today. I think this is a, a very important lesson that we need to learn. What is really Emuna? What is it? What is it? What do you have? What is it? So the person that asked me to speak about Emuna, he said that, you know, there's a lot of girls that come to his organization that... Um, are single and much older. And they've done everything they were supposed to do. They've gone to Amuka. They said 40 days Shirashirim. They said everything that they're supposed to. They dive in. They do everything they're supposed to. And how can you get up and tell them, you know, don't worry about it. You're 46 years old. You have to have a Muna. He said, it sounds ridiculous. He said, right, Walton, how would you how would you talk to such a person? Or a person that went through a tragedy and they daven, and they said to heal him, and they took things on, and they tried everything, and the person passed away anyway. So, like, how do you tell such a person, you have to have a muna? I had a muna. person died. I had a muna. I'm not married. What is real muna? That's what we're going to talk about tonight. I'm going to tell you a crazy story about, the craziest story you ever heard in your life about mikvah. Because that's what we're talking about tonight. So, muna is as follows. Emuna is living in the moment that you're in, whether it's tragic, happy, doesn't matter what the moment is, doesn't make a difference. Because the same God that brings what we consider tragedy brings simcha. The same God that a person goes to be Menachem Avul Shalom or to a Leviah is the same God that brings a child into the hospital, a little teeny baby where your nose is on the glass, and look, he looks like me, she looks like me, and the whole future of this child, and everyone's excited, and there's a bris, and there's a there's a kiddush. The same God that brought that child in the world is the same God that took that person out of the world. It's not a different God. The problem is that people go to Levias, and they have tragedies, and specifically today, when you have uh, Yeshiva world, and all these other things that people have on their technology. So right away when there's a tragedy, you know about it immediately. Immediately. This person died, that person died. But did you ever see on Yeshiva World or anywhere else, 70 kids were born today in Maimonides? 70 little babies, and then scroll through all the pictures of the little cute kids? I don't think anyone ever, ever in this room ever saw the babies that were born in the hospital today. Little cutesies. Twins with a lot of hair, without a lot of hair, looks like me, doesn't look like me, 
looks like a Martian, doesn't look like a Martian. Most of them look like Martians. Oh, look, Rabbi Wallace, look how beautiful my baby is. I'm beautiful. <laughs> Don't put that picture on his resume when he's 20. Whatever you do. We don't, we don't realize that, that the same God that is in our tragedy and in our pain is the same God that's in our pleasure and our happiness. So having Emunah is understanding that it's the same Hashem and that the moment that you live in, the moment that you're in, being that Hashem gave you that moment, whether it's good or bad or whatever that moment is, but to, to use that moment to the optimum. So I actually spoke to a group of girls that were over 40 and not married, and it was a large group about nine months ago. What do you, I was like, what, the people who asked me to speak to them, I'm like, what am I supposed to say? What do you want me to say? What, what, give them chizik. I'm like, what, what chizik? What am I giving them? What am I going to say? I can't go backwards. I want to tell you what I said. I said, if this, for some reason, I can't answer anything. I don't know anything. I don't know any reasons. Forget the reasons. Reasons we'll never know. Moshe Rabbeinu asked for reasons. Hashem said no. David HaMelech asked for reasons. Hashem said no. So if they didn't get reasons, we're not getting reasons. But I said to them the following. I said, you're not married. You don't have children. And you don't have a husband. I'm not trying to rub it in. But that gives you the ability to... High Lifeline is always looking for people to sit with children because the mother's already three months in the hospital and she hasn't gone home to her other children and she hasn't slept in a bed. So they're always asking for people who would, who would take the mother's place for a night or two nights and let her go home. Now, a married woman can't do that. She shouldn't do that. She has kids. She has a husband. I said, but all you single girls, until you're married, I mean, you've been married tomorrow. But the moment that you're in right now, you're not married. So the moment that you're in you're now, look at yourself and say, what can I do in this moment, even though it's a tragedy, I'm not married, I'm not happy about that. But what can I do in this moment that's positive? I can do things that married women cannot. I can do things that women who have children and husbands cannot. I have free nights. I have more time during the day. I have more money for tzedakah. I don't have to worry about paying the rent. I don't have to worry about paying a lot of things because I'm still home. Yes, is that tragic? Yes. But on the other side of it, emuna means that that moment that I'm living in, whether it's good or bad, I'm going to use to the ultimate ability that I can. And I just heard this week, somebody was in the hospital with someone who, a, a person who collects stucco from Israel, who fell down a flight of steps and broke every bone in his body. And he's, lay, he's, laying, in a, he's laying in Maimonides, I think it's room 403, whatever it is, with a trach, with every bone broke, everything's in a cast. So this person said to me that he was in Maimonides with his mother. And he's sitting there, and he's sitting there, and she's sleeping. She just came out of surgery. She's out, right? His sister is there. So he went downstairs to the Bikachola room, whatever it was, and he actually said to the people that were there, there were some people sitting there, he said, does anyone, being my mother sleeping, my sister's there anyway, do you think anyone in this room, do you have anyone in the hospital that you think it would be nice if I visited them? So he's in the hospital. His mother just had a, an operation. and His sister's there anyway. She's sleeping. So he's, in, he's not in a good moment because she had a very serious operation. It's not a good moment. But what did he do? He went down to the home to get something to eat. And he said, you know what? She's sleeping anyway. It's not a good moment. My sister's there watching her. Is there anyone else in the hospital? And that's what one of the guys said. Yeah. In room 403, there's a guy from Israel who has nobody. Every bone is broken. He has nobody. Nobody visits him. 
because he's a collector. He said, I went there. And guess what? Not only I went there, but every day I go there. And I get other people to go a whole day. So he took his tragic moment that he was in, and he turned it into something positive. That's emuna. Emuna means that I believe that because I'm in this moment for whatever reason, I'm going to use it to the best of my ability to be positive. It's a very different way of thinking. It's a very different look. But if you understand that Hashem put you into that moment, emuna means that if Hashem put me into this moment, then there's a reason that I'm here. If there's a reason that I'm here, I must be able to do something. What, what am I able to do with this moment? It's a life changer. It's a game changer. It's a, it's a way of thinking. This Mishnah in Pirkei Avos says exactly this. That Rabbi Gamliel said, Don't do something because Hashem said. You know why, I, you know why I'm a tznua? You know why I'm modest? Because Hashem said that I have to be modest. That's not making your will His will. That is doing his will. He wants me to be modest, so I'm being modest. Not what the mission says. Uh uh uh. You have to come to a level. If Hashem wants me to be modest, that means that modesty is good for me. If modesty is good for me, I want what's good for me. So Hashem's will of whatever it is, give to Dr. be good, whatever, whatever the mitzvah is, whatever, whatever Hashem wants, becomes my want. Because if that's what He wants for me, I'm His child, must be that it's very good for me. If it's good for me, becomes my rutzone. It's not I'm doing His rutzone, I'm doing His will. No, 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 no. I'm doing my will. Why is it my will? Because if that's His will for me, then it must be good for me. If it's good for me, then I want to make that choice. And Hashem says, if you can get to that level, if you can do that, then I, my will, Hashem's will, will become your will. He will want what you want. Which is a crazy level. I'll give you the best explanation for this in a marshal, in a parable, which I think has to do very much with marriage. The guys are not here tonight. They need to hear this more than you. But this is very, very important. So, I get this a lot, and I have to tell you that I had this discussion with my wife when we were married just a couple of years. And the, the question is, this whole word called love. L-O-V-E. By the way, those four letters are stronger than ADHD. <laughs> it's actually stronger than all those letters. They have letters for everything today. Everything has letters. Whatever you are, there's defiant stuff. There's whatever you do. If you sneeze, there's letters. S-N-Z, you have the S-N-Z-E disease. Whatever. So everything has letters. The most important letters is L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E cures all. But what does that word mean? And in the beginning, people were like, oh, that's not from. Like, Wallenstein, that's not from. You shouldn't use that word. L-O-V-E. It's not a from world. I don't know. The whole Kriyashma, everything that it says in the Torah, it's Hashem chose us with love. There's a lot of love in the Torah. There's a lot of love. The whole Kriyashma, it's full of love. It comes to the word hav. It's a very... It's, it's, it's a beautiful word. It's a Jewish word. Now, what does that word mean? Oh, man, have I had it in seminary classes with this word? What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? Trust. All kinds of different words. But really what it means, and my wife did not like this at all, was when I had this discussion with her, I said it means sacrifice. That's a very ugly word compared to love. Like what? Your carbon? 
I said, you are a carbon. Every woman's a carbon. How do you know that, ladies? You're all carbonos. This is one room full of carbonos. How do you know that? Because when he marries you, what does he say? Hare'at mikudeshesli. You know why? Mikudeshes, when you, when you made a carbon, what did you say? Mikudeshes. So you're all carbonos. It starts off like that right away. Right? And then we give you a and then whatever, we, we live life. But, but the truth, that, that's the truth. Now, wh- so how do you know that sacrifice is love? Because the greatest proof that, ya- that Avram Avinu loved Hashem was Hashem said, bring up your son as a carbon, as a sacrifice. Sounds very harsh, right? What, is that, what does that mean? Sacrifice is love. I love is so many more beautiful things. You'll never get a Hallmark card, I promise you. You'll never get a Hallmark card. I sacrifice you. So it's definitely not the English translation. But what does it mean? It means exactly what this mission says. I'll tell you what it means. So you have this late, this past week, there was a big basketball game yesterday. Whoa, big basketball game. Cleveland, big superstar, big playoffs. Every guy wanted to watch this game. Not every guy. Our guys were all sitting and learning in yeshiva. But I'm saying about the rest of the world. Every guy wants to watch this this. This, this big basketball game yesterday. And this girl tells her husband, listen, we just got married. There's a very big sale in Lord and Taylor. And it's Lord, so it has to do with Kedusha. It's a place where you dive in. Otherwise, why would they have the name Lord, right? So I really want to go very badly. He's like, oh, my gosh. In his head, he's like, oh, my gosh, my friends. I invited them all to watch the game. But I just got married. I don't know what to do. What should I do? So he goes, are you coming? Are we going? He said, yeah, of course. What's the shyly? Calls up his friends, he cancels it, whatever it is. Now, there's two ways of there's two ways of going to Lord and Taylor now. One way is, Yay! I'm so happy to go with you. You made my life. And the other way is, listen, here's the deal. I gave up a Sunday for you. Next Sunday we're gonna go to a football game and watch a bunch of men crash their heads into the ground. Blood, guts, screaming, beer, cursing. Now you don't like that, but you're gonna come with me because I don't like this. I don't like to go shopping, I'm doing this for you. So men, you know, Jewish men are very good businessmen because they first have to make a million deals with their wife before they even walk out of the house in the morning. So we know how to make deals. If you do this, I'll do this. If you do that, I'll do that. Okay. Now, that's totally wrong. That's not a marriage. What's a marriage? A marriage is, if you want to go to, I'm just giving you an example. If you want to go to Lord and Taylor, and that's what makes you happy, you're my wife, and that's what makes you happy. It doesn't have to make any sense because women, I'm not going to give my whole share on women shopping. Women shopping makes no sense to a man. We don't understand you guys at all. We go, we walk into a store, 12 minutes, 12 suits, 12 shirts, 12, 12, 12 ties, three pairs of shoes, 15 socks. The only problem men have is when they buy black hats. For some reason, you go to Borsalino, it takes like two hours. They look in the mirror, they look in the mirror, how do I look, how do I look? But everything else... It takes five minutes. We're out. Not only that, not only that, I don't, I don't tailor my suits. I walk in, 44 regular. I put it on. One suit I have to tailor. The other four, because just, you just get the same suit in different colors, right? I'm like, whatever you did to this suit, do it to the other three. We don't even, we don't even get it tailored. Okay? We're in and out. Ten minutes. Everything. Ladies, when's the last time you were in and out ten minutes? So I teach my boys because I have a lot of Talmudim. I say, listen, you have to understand that by women, it's not about buying the clothing. It's about shopping. You don't have to buy. In fact, if you buy, you feel guilty. 
They, they, and and guy, guys don't understand that. And they're walking around. First of all, the blood's in their fingers stop running because they're carrying six hangers on each hand. Ladies, the blood stops at four. Okay? And the guys never stop walking around the whole thing. And, and Bloomingdale thought they were brilliant. They put a couch right outside the fitting room for the guys to sit there and they're all snoring away. So really what should be is I don't, you don't need to buy anything. I don't care. If you're happy, if my wife is happy, that makes me happy. Not I'm sacrificing myself. Okay, I'll do this if you do that. You're happy? You didn't buy anything? Good. You bought something? Good. It doesn't matter. You're running around the store trying on 15 different things and not, and you're like, at the end of the day, you have these two things and we want you to buy those two things because if you don't buy the two things, then the lady gets into the car and she says, this trip doesn't count. I didn't buy anything. So we're not going anywhere next week for you either. So we're all davening. You should know that. We take out our tehillims and we're like, she should come out of the fitting room and have buy two things, at least two things. But those shmigegis, they don't understand. They put the cash register far away from the fitting room, so you should walk through more of the store and pick up some other stuff. But they don't know Jewish ladies. You don't give a Jewish lady time to think. And by the time she starts walking, all of a sudden she's, Chaim, when am am I going to wear this? We don't have any kiddushim to wear this. He's like, "I, I didn't tell you to buy it. Like, what? I don't need this. And she hangs out. Oh, there's one dress left. If that goes, the trip doesn't count. Not only that, he ruined the whole thing. He bought a tie. So it's not her trip anymore. It's his trip. Okay, you all you know, you, you know what I'm talking about. You all know what I'm talking about. She's got this one dress left. And he's like, Hashem, Anna Hashem, we she Anna. We got to go home with this dress. And then she looks at it. And she looks at the price. And she says, I'm not going to spend $700 on a dress. He's like, what? Didn't you look at the price like before you tried it on? She says, this is going to be on sale, and it's going to be on sale again, and it's going to be off-season, it's going to be on sale again. If we wait three months, they're going to give it to me for free. <laughs> and she hangs it up, and by the way, I can get it online with my coupons and that. So, what, what, what? You didn't buy anything. I'm happy. Are you happy? I'm happy. Chaim, are you happy? So it's a very funny story, but it's not a very funny story, because at the end of the day, her happiness becomes his Rutzain. And it's even selfish. Why? Because if I'm happy that you're happy, then I want you ha- to be happy. Why? Because I want to be happy. So really, the end, it's even selfish on my part. My wife is happy. That's what makes me happy. So at the end of the day, by making her happy, I'm happy. That's the Mishnah. I say, Kodesh Baruch Hu gave a commandment to do this commandment is what Hashem wants, then that's what I want. It's not I'm doing what Hashem wants. It's I want to do this because Hashem wants. It's very, very different. And what Hashem says, if you are on that level, then I will do things. I will want what you want. Wow. Can you imagine that? That a Kishboch will want what, of course, it's not to do an Avera. But when a person wants to do something, a Kishboch is going to want to do what he wants, because that's what makes Hashem happy to see you happy. That's the level that a person can get, that's what the Mishnah says. And then the Mishnah says, if you want to do something bad, break your will, break your will, because Hashem wants you to break your will, and God will break the will of those who want to hurt you. 
If a person breaks their will not to do something bad because a Kishbuch who asked it, Kishbuch who says, I will break all those people, talk Lashonara, that want to hurt you, they want to hurt your kids, they want to blow up your shul, they want to do all this stuff, whatever they want, they won't be able to do it. Because you broke your will, Mida connected Mida is, I will break my will. Now, why am I telling you this? This is a prefix to the most amazing story. I, I, I sound like Rabbi Crone, because he only has amazing stories. But this happens also to be an amazing story. Listen to this. It's in a sefer called Avas Chaim, because after I say it, all your husband, you're going to go home, they're going to say, it never happened, it couldn't have happened. I don't know, Rabbi Wallace, he made this up. So you tell him, it's in Pasha's Kisavo, in a sefer called the Ahavas Chaim. And you can buy it in a bookstore. But Tzino Maitzu Isha Achaz is a story about a woman. Shehoyse Yirash Shemayim. She had Yirash Shemayim. V'tamid hoyse hoylechaz v'shmoya dibrei Torah v'beis ha-knesses v'minchol ha-arvis. She would go in the old days in the shuls, what they used to do is they used to dot, they used to, the people were working all day so they didn't get a chance to learn. So between Mincha and Meirav at night, you had to wait at like a half an hour the rabbi would give a shear, usually Mishnai, so and other things. So she loved to learn. So she would stand outside the shul by the window and she would listen to the rabbi's class. And one time, that night that she went to listen, she had to go to the mikvah, Tilas Mitzvah. And she went to shul to hear, you don't go to the mikvah till after, till after Myriv. So it was no problem. She's going to listen to the shit between Micha and Meirev, and then she's going to go to the mikvah. But that night, Rabbi Wallstein was speaking, and he spoke way over his time that he was not me, but he spoke way over his time that he was supposed to speak, and she did not realize it. Yosem Bedai, much, much too late. he is Achra, and she stood there, didn't realize it, and it became very late. In those days, the mikvah was open for half an hour after darkness. That's it. It was very dangerous in those towns to go to the mikvah. So the mikvah lady didn't want to go home after a half an hour after darkness. She couldn't go three hours after darkness. So she came to the mikvah, this woman, and the mikvah was closed. Now she's in, she's in big trouble. What's she going to tell her husband? She was to a shear. Yeah, yeah, that's what he says. Because it was very late. And she couldn't find anywhere open. She knew the nature of her husband. He didn't believe in Hashem. He was an animal. He didn't care if she was pure or impure. Now she had a big trouble because he knew she was going to the mikvah that night. Now she's going to come home and he's not going to care whether she went or not. And how's she going to tell him that she didn't go? That she went to listen to a drasha, she's in big trouble. She was very scared of this sin that's going to happen because she can't tell the husband she didn't go to the mikvah and then she's going to be with him in, 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 in sin, in tumah. She began to cry. With a bitter heart. Because if she goes home, her husband will grab her and she'll do an avera. They'll both be chayav misa. If she runs home to her father, right? She's going to run home to her father. She's in more trouble. He'll tell her, you and your learning Torah, going to Shiurim, look what happened now. 
Look what happened to you. You're not machayev to go to a shir. What did you do? She didn't know what to do. So either way, she was in big trouble, and her father would say, you deserve it. You, you deserve it. Now you're in trouble because you had to go to a shir. Who told you to go to a shir? Okay, so now she's stuck. What did she do? In the meanwhile, it's deep night. She begins to shake. And to cry, Ayat Pesach Beisakneses, at the door of the shul. And she begs from Hashem pity. All of a sudden, in rolls a coach. Al-Yada, in front of her. There's an old man sitting in this carriage, and an old woman. So the old man asks the girl, who's the only one out on the street, the woman, Is there a... Um, a base merchatz, a wash house, a shower house, right? How do you say base merchatz in English? Uh, what? A bathhouse. Thank you. A shower house. Okay. Base merchatz kan. Is there? Is there? A, is, is, is there? Is such a place? Amra. So she said to him, Nah. You know how late you are. Shakol sogur. The bathhouse is closed. Everything is closed. Amalayazakain. So the old man said, Vavakasha. Let me ask you something. Ain dava shahaisa sogur rak. There's no such thing that something's closed. There's always money that can open up anything, and we're very, very rich. So she showed them where the owner of the bathhouse was, and the old man got off the carriage, and he told the bathhouse attendant, here's my money, whatever you want, but please open the bathhouse, for my wife. Because the doctor said she's very old, she traveled a lot. And she needs to she needs to go in the bathhouse, take a warm bath. When the, the owner of the Balamechat saw this very rich Vikesev Rab and all this money, take him immediately He opened up the bathhouse. It happens to be in the bathhouse is where the mikvah in the city was. And the water was still warm. The old lady said to this girl, ima to come in with me. The mikvah tahara, she levad the balayla v'chedah. She's scared to go into the bathhouse alone. So please come into the bathhouse with me. They both went in. And then she went into the mikvah. This woman who had stayed very late, who was in trouble. Look with the isha lagala. They took the the woman who who was in trouble to, um, with the wagon at pasach beisa to the door of a house. Go go be happy. Go home, and everything will be all right. And then they told her the following. You ready, everybody? Raktedi, I want you to know, the man and the woman told the girl that was listening to the shir that missed going to the mikvah. Now she went to the mikvah. We want you to know, Shabavuresh, because of you, Banu we came from the other world. and we are Avraham Vesara. Avraham, I told you you never heard a story like this. Avraham Vesara. Upitom Ne'alamu and... In a minute, they were gone. They disappeared. Haim, them, Hagala, the wagon. When she got home, her husband wasn't home yet. She, um, she was very, very happy with a great simcha. It's not over yet. I came from Brooklyn just to tell you this story, honestly. In the middle of the night, when she was sleeping, 
Shari Menu, all of a shalom, came to her in a dream. But Amla and told her, she smecha ma'oid, that Sari Menu was very happy, Leroy's Oisa, to see that she, Shikavi Itam Latayra, that she loved to learn, that she, she set up a time to, to listen to the Torah. Even though she wasn't chayev to hear the Torah, so Emenu came and said, I'm very proud of you that every night you go to listen to Torah, Adkan, and the story. Wow. It's a crazy story. Avram and Sarah came from the other world on a wagon to open up the... It's a crazy story. And the answer is the Mishnah. The answer is what the Mishnah is saying. I'd say, I'd say, with Seinachah, no. If your will, if your will is his will, if, if, if because Hashem said that you need to do this, that's what you want to do, you're not doing it for Hashem, you're doing it for yourself, then a Kirsh Baruch Hu will make your will his will. She needed to go to the mikvah. She was stuck. She's going to be in so much trouble. She wanted to go so badly. Hashem said, you want to go so badly? Then I want to go so badly. And therefore he sent Sarah. It's not, we don't even understand what that means, that he sent Sarah and Avraham Avinu back into this world, out of Gan Eden, into this world, in order that this woman should be able to be tahar for her husband. No Yudika, no Yudika story. It's an amazing story. Pasha Kishavo, if you want to look it up, in a safer called the Avas Chayim. I want to end with this thought. We were talking about mikvah, so I was in, um, I was in Sacramento. The importance of mikvah. We, we take it so for granted in Queens and in Brooklyn and New York. Just this past week, somebody needed a mikvah in, in up, upstate, um, and she had to go to the mikvah, and there's nothing near her, nothing even close. There's a lake. A lake is usually not kosher for a woman's mikvah. Usually not. The ocean is, but a lake is not. And I'll tell you one more story about mikvah, amazing story. But So... The lake happens to be spring-fed. It's a whole different lake than a normal lake, whatever it is. To make a long story, could you, could you imagine in the middle of the night when it's dark, going into a lake up in the mountains with frogs and fish and salamanders and all the other gooky things that float in the lake in the middle of the night? Not even a question. It wasn't even a question. She went in the lake. This lake happens to be kosher. It's a very unusual lake, whatever it was. The, 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 the people that are mice and nefesh out of New York City. So Sacramento did not have a mikvah. I spoke for them. They were trying to raise money for a mikvah. Sacramento did not have a mikvah. Sacramento, California, it's a big place. Did not have a mikvah. The closest mikvah for ladies was in San Francisco. San Francisco is two and a half hours from Sacramento. So anytime a woman in Sacramento needs to go to the mikvah, she drove to San Francisco. A lady walked over to me. She was already older. She said, Red Wallstein... I wish you would have been here and spoken 20 years ago. I'm like, I wish too, but what, why? What happened? She said, I have one child. I said, okay. She goes, no, I wanted to have 12 children. But it always came out Friday night. And Friday night, we had no mikvah. Not only that, but to drive to San Francisco on a summer Matzi Shabbos, when you, get, you only got to San Francisco at 12.30 at night, because it took two and a half hours, the mikvah was not open in San Francisco. So I lost two nights. So she said, Ray Wallstein, I should have 12, 13 children. Because nobody built the mikvah, I have one. So do you know what it means that every time you have to drive two and a half hours each way? 
It's five hours. Five hours. Hashem, Queens, Brooklyn, all these places, you have to drive two minutes, three minutes. We'll end with this story about my grandmother, the ultimate story. This is the ultimate story. So my grandmother, my mother, that whole family, the Holzer family, they got on a boat to come to America from the Holocaust, in the middle of the Holocaust. And the Americans, the great people, America, did not allow the boat in. No more. We're not taking any more Jews. So they turned the boat around and they sent them to the Philippines. So my mother grew up eight years with my grandmother and the Hershaw family, the Holzer family, grew up in the Philippines. They actually, my mother, yeah, Hershaw, Dr. Hershaw, the famous Dr. Hershaw. Those, those, were, those were the two families. And, um, the, of course, there was no mikvah in the Philippines, but there was an ocean. So my grandmother, Oliver Shalom, she told me this story when she was 95. She was staying in my house. She wasn't feeling well already. And we were just talking about old times in the Philippines. And she said that, so she, she, was, she went to the mikvah in the ocean, and when she came out, the Japanese caught her and Mrs. Hershaw, these two Jewish women, you need one woman to watch, one that woman that went in. My grandmother went in that night, and they caught her. She was already dressed, but coming out of the, coming out of the ocean. Why two white women, right? They considered them white. That's how they looked at it. They didn't know German Jews. They didn't know anything about Jews. But they didn't like the, the, the Japanese were yellow. They don't like white people. They don't like the Filipinos. And my, they were German white people, and they didn't like them. So what would two women be doing in the ocean? So they said, there must be American spies, and they're using Morse code flashing to the, ocean, to the boats that are out in the ocean. Why else would two women be in the water in the middle of the night? It doesn't make any sense to them. So they, they, they took her to kill her. Two spies, both these women. Remember, my grandmother was this tall. So they took her to kill her. So they took her to the Japanese captain. They schlepped them by their hair, mamish, to the Japanese captain. And he said, to them, he spoke in Japanese. My grandmother spoke in German. So they had no, no idea what, each, what they were saying. And Mrs. Hershout also spoke in German. So every time the Japanese says something, Mrs. Hershout said something back in German. Every time she says something back in German, he hit them with a baton, those, those like sticks. He, every single time, so my grandmother was trying to tell her to stop talking, right? But they took a crazy beating that night. Crazy beating. And my grandmother said to me, I'll never forget it, just to show you the difference between today and how strong they were. My grandmother, so I said, I said, Oma, like, how did you deal with Hashem on this? Like, you were mice and nefesh to go to the mikvah in the ocean, and then you get beat up for it. Like, how, do you, how did you deal with God? Like, how does that work? Like, you, you know, you went to do a mitzvah, and I'm sure you, she went other times. She didn't get caught. Like, you didn't have to get caught. Like, like what were you thinking when this, because I like to understand where they come from, where their strength came from. I'm like, Uma, what were you thinking? The guy's beating you, and the reason he's beating you is because you went to the mikvah. You know what my grandmother said? She said, every time he hit me, I said under my breath, Hashem, another year of life. Another year of life. Another year of life. I wish he would have hit me at least 20 more times. She was 95. You hear? She's getting beat because she went to the mikvah. Instead of our generation, whoa, well, there must be no God. I'm going to be an atheist. I'm going to be, how could this happen? Right? We go crazy. I did the right thing. Why do people... Every single time she got a hit, 
even understand this. Instead of cursing Hashem, she's like, okay, another year. So she said to me, I should have taken a big, I wish you would have hit me a few more times. She died. She was 96 years old. That's Emuna. That's how I started my shir. Terrible situation. Out at night by yourself with a Japanese guy beating you with a baton. Terrible situation. What's Emuna? What's Emuna in that situation? That I'm going to make it out alive? What's Emuna? Emuna is, I have Emuna that every time I'm getting hit, I'm getting another year of life. I'm getting hit, I'm getting beat, and at the same time, that I'm getting beat, I'm not angry, how could you do this to me? But I'm like, I'm in the moment, it's a tragic moment. What do I do with that moment? Get depressed, give up, pray? No, what do I do in the moment, in that moment? I use it to the best of my ability. What's the best of my ability? I'm getting beat for a mitzvah. Okay, Hashem. So give me another year. Give me another year. I'm in a hospital. My, my mother, this guy's mother, had an operation. She's sleeping. My sister's there. Logically, I could be sitting there, right? Let me go visit every single person in the hospital that has no visitors. Let me find out who has no visitors. Because right now my mother's sleeping anyway. Why should I just sit there? My sister's watching. Let me go find out who's in the hospital. Let me use the moment that I'm getting beat. Let me use the moment that I'm in a tragedy or situation. Of course, in a simchadikah situation, it's a little easier to use the, to use the moment. That is Amuna. That is true Amuna. And that's the story of the mikvah. And the story of the mikvah with Abraham Avinu and Sarah. That was, that was true Amuna. That's true Amuna. And, and, and mikvah is Metaris Yisrael. Mikvah, what is, how does mikvah work? Anyone here know how mikvah works? You go into some water, why does that change you? You go in Tameh, you come out Tahar. Anyone ever try to figure out what, what happened? What happened? I went into the water, I came out of the water. If I take a shower, I'm not Tahar. I take a bath, I'm not Tahar. I jump into a man-made lake, my head's under, my hair's under, I'm not Tahar. What's this business? So the, the, the Zayar says that before the world was created, before the sin that brought Tumah into the world, before Hashem created the world, it says, what does it say? That the world was all water. The whole world was water. What did Hashem do? He separated the waters. What did He do? He took some waters to the heavens, which is called Shemayim, and He made oceans on this world. So He separated, before creation, the world the water was not separated. After creation, he, he separated the waters up there and the waters down here. When you go into a mikvah and your whole head and body is underneath the water, you're in a place before the world because the waters of Shemayim are now with the waters of Aretz and they're mixed, right? The, water's down, the water from Shemayim is down here and you're in that water. So you're in water, you're in a place before the creation of the world. Before the creation of the world, says Isaiah, there was no Tumah. So therefore, you're going into a place where you could dive in, you could have kavanas, you could, you, could, you could change the whole world. And when you go underneath into that water, you're in that water, you're in a place before creation. And before creation is before the sin. And before the sin is before Zuhama. And before Zuhama is before Tumah. And therefore, that is what's Metahir. And that's why it has to be Rainwater. It has to come from rainwater. Because rainwater is the water in Shemayim. And that water has to come down to Aretz. When it comes down to Aretz, it's the world before creation. May we all be Zaycha in the schus of the mitzvah, in the schus of bringing purity into the world. 
No, we should be back to the world before creation, which is the world of Mashiach. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.